Hello, kia ora, and welcome to In Pursuit of Purpose with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, or if you are joining me for the first time listening in, kia ora and welcome. And yeah, this week I have a chat with uh, Danny Pritchard, who is the founder of Duffel & Co., uh, one of New Zealand's uh, original B corporations. Uh, he's also involved in a couple of other impact organisations. Yeah, and we unpack quite a few interesting parts of his journey, um, his journey to purpose, or, um, where we delve into some of the, uh, I guess, uh, reflection points, um, how isolation was important to him on that journey, um, and a little bit of the growth and personal work he's had to put in. And um, yeah, towards the end, we get into some interesting conversations on, on what the future of business is going to have to look like for us to all um, be able to do what we want to do, I guess, on a, on a, on a future planet that's going to be having less resources. So um, yeah, be really great to get your feedback. So um, as usual, sit back, relax, get a, uh, a cup of your favourite tipple and um, yeah, crack on with it. Catch you soon. Hey, kia ora and welcome. And so, yeah, with me on the podcast now, we have Danny Pritchard. So, Danny, who are you? What do you do? What, what are you doing on this podcast? <laughs> Hi. Yeah, no, no, good good question. Um, I'm Danny Pritchard and I have a couple of little purpose-driven businesses uh, going on. Purpose, uh, for me, is a very, very interesting word that isn't really spoken about um, too much. Tim and I were talking earlier about this and people sort of run away when you, you bring up the topic, but um, it's so, so important. And hopefully we can, we can talk about why. Um, but I currently have one business which you may have heard of called Duffel & Co. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically challenge the status quo by using business to instigate positive social and environmental change. And making beautiful bags is just the main way how we sort of do that. So we support talented craftsmen in Bali, empower local communities, plant trees to restore biodiversity and sort of offset our carbon emissions and so on. And another sort of um, social enterprise that I've recently started working on that I'm really excited about is called Bring On Monday. It actually started... uh, by having coffee meetups on the first Monday of every month at 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, you can imagine how many people showed up. <laughs> after a while, it actually got going and it, and it did filter out um, those who probably weren't that interested. But we sort of got all these social enterprises together and figured out, okay, what, you know, what are they struggling with? And one of the main things that kept coming up is profit. So mm-hmm. it was built on the basis of that because we believe, you know, the bigger the profit, uh, you can make like obviously the greater the impact and and so on and we see these social enterprises that kind of are doing they have such cool ideas some of the tech businesses and, and stuff like that and they kind of just go off off the radar and at the end of the day it's the the manager sorry the the co-founders or whatnot who can't pay pay themselves mm. and they can't pay rent and so they're they're giving 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 but can't support themselves so that's why why I, sec- I started the second business bring on Monday. Um, so we basically, yeah, handle all things, bookkeeping, finance, accounting related, add in some coaching there and stuff like that, but all for kind of a fraction of the price of a traditional mm-hmm. accountant, um, just because they do tend to be a little bit more expensive. So kind of, yeah, having that um, accountancy side of things, but also the bookkeeping, the admin, but, you know, helping with budgets, um, 
that support and that coaching as well, just to make sure that these businesses do succeed. Very cool. And on Wednesdays, you do something else. <laughs> so it sounds like you know you got your week pretty full there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just casually no. trying to you know save the world through two businesses as you do. <laughs> yeah, it's well. I'm lucky with Duffel and Co. We've been going for four years now, and I've got such an amazing team. Uh, where I can just trust them to, to do everything. To be honest, I don't actually do much. Um, it's it's all the team. But bring on Monday is is what I'm working on, you know, building at the moment. And one thing that I'm really, really passionate about because I, I guess we're getting to B Corp, Corp later, but just I think that purpose-driven businesses um, are the future and they need to be able to survive and, and do well mm-hmm. and, and make profit. What a crazy idea. Purpose-driven business is the future. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot, loads of stuff to unpack there. There's definitely, I want to I wanna go down the social enterprise route a little bit, which is what I did with a recent guest, Anna, um, and definitely on the profit um, versus impact scale. And there's some definitely some cool things I can pick up there from uh, some time I spent at Kilmarnock. But before we delve into there, let's sort of delve into Danny a little bit more. And how did you... Like why Duffel and Co. Is, is like your first foray into business for good or purpose driven business or social enterprise? Like, where did that come from? What was the thoughts behind that? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. And t- to be honest, I went through university. I did have this little business at university called Dream Band. It was basically a student loyalty program and allowed students to get three dollar beers. Um, <laughs> we won't go into too, too, too many details there. Um, and that actually went really well. And I started getting into, you know, self-development, all the different books. And I was kind of convinced that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. uni, all of my friends kind of went into the corporate world and I kind of battled away trying to come up with business ideas and ended up um, doing a door-to-door sales role, which wow. was character building and stuff. So yeah, selling <laughs> energy, knocking, knocking on doors. But I'm so glad that I did it because, uh, you know, you build res- resilience and persistence. Just through. a little bit. I think if anyone can survive door-to-door selling, you can survive life. It's as simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out over the next few weeks. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah okay, yeah. Caveat, not sure actually prevents uh, COVID-19 infection but other than that I'd say it's pretty characteristic <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah exactly we won't go down that rabbit hole <laughs> and so yeah to door-to-door sales and then was sitting on the couch with my girlfriend at, at the time and I said look this is a bit boring I'm, I'm living for commission she wasn't um, in a role that she wanted to be in and we were just sort of like well what do we do we don't really want proper jobs yet we're not ready for mm. for jobs and we ended up moving to South Korea and teaching English for a year over there which was very very random but such a cool um, experience um, and when I was over there I did a lot of soul searching mm. and stuff like that which we'll probably get into later mm-hmm. and after that I found myself in India and I literally just saw these bags on the side of the road they looked awesome i'd never seen anything like them they were like you know natural kind of vegetable tan leather bags Mm -hmm. and i wanted one and some of my friends liked the photos of them too so i started meeting the suppliers and learned that they were like given all the equipment all the families in the area um were were supported and paid really really well and most of them had actually lost their jobs initially from the trade shift to china Mm. which also 
our craftsmen in Indonesia as well. It's, it's a similar sort of story. It's, it's actually a massive thing. Um, what kind of like child labor did around the world and how all these talented craftsmen and producers kind of um, yeah, struggled afterwards. So anyway, this was when I actually found these supplies, this was almost five years ago. And believe it or not, social enterprise wasn't even a thing in them. And maybe like three or four years ago, that's when, you know, the child labor conversation was getting big. And then, you know, because of what happened mm. in Bangladesh as well, yep. and, you know, the well-being in these fashion factories and, and, and stuff like that. But it wasn't really a thing. And now they're, they're popping up every, everywhere, which was amazing. But, you know, being climate positive or carbon zero or planting mm. trees, no one's even talking about that. Um, so the reason why I started it, I guess, is I thought this is a cool business. Um, I don't want a job. <laughs> Here's an opportunity. <laughs> and I kind of just took that opportunity and went halves with a mate and we bought a hundred bags to New Zealand. Thought it would be cool to support these craftsmen and in India. And then, yeah, I literally had them under my bed and we built a, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then we, we, the website took these horrible looking photos, um, our, ourselves and then eventually it was a, a mate's garage and kind of built up from there. So it is a very classic like Kiwi Love it. Build, the, build from the ground up entrepreneurial <laughs> um, story. But to be honest, like there wasn't a whole lot of thought like gone into the, the purpose and why we were doing it at mm. that point. But as time went on, then, you know, these questions started coming up, you know, we're working out why we do it. And we're working out, okay, like how can we make the biggest impact? And, you know, we had we had the social impact down, but then we had to bring in the environmental impact as well. So we've just had lots of moments over time where we've had to had to pivot and do what's a little bit truer to, you know, ourselves as founders, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, what's right for the planet as well. Nice. And how do you balance all of that whilst in the in the I don't know, I kind of like to say in the current economic paradigm of balancing profit with impact and, and doing the right thing, it's, um, we're, I guess we're in interesting economic times. Um, for those tuning in at a later date, this is uh, whilst we're right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, <laughs> challenge. So, I mean, yeah, interesting. I don't know, but I think hopefully say we can kind of skirt around that a little bit um, and, and keep it more around the sort of the purpose conversation. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so purpose you feel like perhaps it wasn't something that was running deep like there's been it's interesting you know for me trying to unpack where, where you know how, how do you find purpose how do you connect to it how do you um, manifest it maybe not quite the right word but some people um there's been a couple of people i've interviewed so far where it's it's clear that they've had it from like mm. almost year zero it's like it's just it's been partly genetic partly parenting that has led them to, to have a vision for a future world that is inclusive and 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 you know is is about everyone and, and has that sense of purpose whereas others i guess more like myself have kind of got to a realization that there's something missing and, and i think there's there is something more i could seek which sort of side of that would you say you were on yeah that's a really good question i think one thing to that i do remember now is before i started uh, Duffel and Co. When I lived in Korea, at that point, like I said, I was I was reading all these self help books, learning about all these principles. But I I started soul searching, and I didn't start till about I was at a hogwan, which is basically an after school school. Um, 
we started about three pm. So I remember going to a cafe, maybe two or three times a week, where I would start asking these really really hard questions. You know, but some of them deep, some of them not so deep. So from what excites me to what do I want written on my tombstone mm -hmm. when I die. Also the classic question, like if money wasn't an yep. issue, you know, you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? Um, and some yeah, really deep questions in there as well, you know, pen to paper. And then you sort of write one thing down and then another thing comes up and you start peeling mm -hmm. off those layers. So I think I had a pretty good idea on what I was good at how I wanted to spend my time. And that was a pivotal moment. But I guess what manifested from all of that, one thing was Duffel & Co. But mm -hmm. when, I, when I started it, I didn't consciously think, right, this is the moment. This is my purpose. Yep. I'm going to go and start this business. I felt like I had a pretty good foundation. And I feel like purpose is something that, you know, it, it's evolving, it's and I think the more that you know yourself, the the clearer that purpose becomes, and it, it changes as as time goes on to a degree as as well as we learn, as we become more wise, as we become more in tune with with ourselves. So yeah, I guess I had to answer your question. I guess I had the some good foundations. I knew what direction I wanted to head in, but not not precisely. Mm. I also remember. Um, a few, or maybe I can't remember if I'd started Duffel and Co at this point, but I remember going on the train with my brother and revisiting these questions, and at one point started crying, nice. <laughs> which was fully intense. Uh, which is which mm. I think was one of those moments, but it wasn't when I had those emotions and that feeling. I wasn't like, okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do with my life. You know, it was like, yeah, no, that's me. I. You know, I do feel really passionate about that. That is very true to me. You know, looking at these different aspects and, you know, kind of connecting the dots, yep. I guess. Okay, what am I good at? What are my values? Um, you know, what do I want to be remembered for? Mm. And all these kind of things. And, you know, if something was taken away from me in life, you know, wouldn't it be worth living, what would that be? Mm. So really, really deep and then... I know looking back at my childhood and, and stuff like that and connecting those dots. And, you know, I, for me, it's, it's an ongoing exercise and it's, I'm stoked that we're actually talking about this because I feel like I want to revisit some of these questions again, because I don't do it often enough. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. And thank you for your vulnerability in, you know, sharing the crying story. Um, I, I've had that. I mean, I, I certainly cried more, um, as a bloke, um, you know, because blokes don't cry. Um, since I've been <laughs> especially Kiwi purpose, blokes, <laughs> especially Kiwi blokes, yeah. Um, and I, I always say that's like a real test that you're on the right track of purpose. Is if if you can look into the future and imagine you not achieving your future vision on purpose, if that doesn't make you cry, then you're not you're not on the right track because that's the that's like the mm. real the real test like do you care so deeply enough about something that the thought of that not happening or the opposite happening would bring you to tears and i think that's you, you can't get much deeper than that <laughs> in terms I, of I love that visceral yeah. connection to the thing that is going to pull you forward in life um yeah that's so cool and and if you're 100 right you know we're, we're just all so busy um 
that we don't we don't want to stop and ponder these questions and they're hard questions and they're questions that make you cry so why would we want to go and do that <laughs> yeah but you have to um, I think you know you have to go do that to be to become the human that you you can be um mm. completely agree and and I love um that question that, that you mentioned earlier as well which I, I think that um I will also ask myself in my next session which I'm inspired to do but I just wanted to point out you mentioned the the v word not mm. not the dirty one, um, but vulnerability. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that you've seen some of like Brene Brown's work, yeah. and I find it very very fascinating. And I've been reflecting on this a lot um, lately, and I feel like it's such a strong channel to be honest and open with ourselves and others. Yep. Because you know we've got this layer of armor to defend ourselves from the truth and and stuff like that, and I think. It's, it's another way of peeling off the onion. If we're, we're being authentic, the more authentic we are, the more ourselves we are, the more, which means being vulnerable as well, then, you know, the more we can kind of be aligned with our purpose. 100%. I th- I th- from the, you know, all the work I've done, all the work I've studied and, and connected to is that is the key. It's like, who, who are you? Um, you know, I'm pretty sure it's Socrates, you know, know thyself. It's like, but actually, who are you? And if you don't know who you are, you can't go and figure out what what it is you should be doing to fulfill yourself and provide meaningful contribution to those around you. And I think that's, um, you know, in the modern world of social media and, you know, keeping up with the Joneses of which, you know, as I say frequently in workshops and talks, you know, I absolve you of having to keep up with us um, as a Jones. I have that power. Um, you know, we're all idiots. Don't, don't try and keep up with us. Um, it's really hard to actually just stop and go well I don't I actually don't want that but I've been told that I should have that and I think I I do wonder um if we're going to be moving into a bit of a period where more people have more time to reflect on that and and how that might change a few things for us yeah I think I think we have to and and I think we will the the thing that gets me is I don't know if it's just the environment that you and I and probably lots of these listeners um surround ourselves in but, you know, everyone seems to be really passionate talking about purpose a lot of mm. the time, lots of social enterprises popping up, you know, that's kind of, you know, your work is helping their, you know, businesses find, find their purpose and strengthening that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I'm in this whole social enterprise scene, so I see a lot of it, but it does feel like it is growing um, and, and more and more people are getting on board and more and more people are meditating and and so on but then again that's in our little bubble so i do hope that um it's it's happening outside of it yeah and i think yeah there's that there's always that risk that there's a sort of a hardcore group who are genuinely doing it and then it's it's easy to see some purpose washing and impact washing and people claiming they're doing good but you know actually is it doing good and, and are you really doing it um that's a whole other challenge i guess but um i haven't heard that before purpose washing yeah yeah start using because obviously green washing so i'm I'm gonna definitely impact washing not yeah totally there's i mean as an example um so a good mate of mine zach who i'm interviewing i believe in the next couple of weeks um he does similar work to me in the states and you know he, he was just 
highlighting a couple of examples on LinkedIn of, of companies reacting to the, the pandemic situation right now, where one of them, you know, clearly articulates on their website that it's all they're all about their staff and growing and helping their staff to, you know, thrive and, and do what's right and, and what have you. And they're one of the companies that are perhaps not acting in the most ethical way in terms of how they're mm. um, recompensing their staff in a time of financial hardship. Um, whereas you look at how some of the B corporations of the world, like Patagonia and Allbirds, have responded saying, you know, look, yep, we are closing down our stores for a couple of weeks, but all our staff are going to be paid. So, you know, we're doing yeah. the right thing. And so I think there's, it's really easy to put some values, put a purpose statement out on the website and, and say, hey, we're doing it. But, you know, as, as Zach was saying, it's, it's do your actions and behaviours align with your statements mm -hmm. on social media? And that's the true, the true test. Um, yeah, practice not always the case. Yeah, mm. exactly that. Embody mm. it. So, just finishing on on the sort of the soul searching part was was there one specific moment um, that you kind of felt really led you to pick up that first book, or you know, to sit down and write that first question, or was it just a more sort of generic malaise, the thought of having to go and get a job in inverted commas that pushed you down that path? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'd kind of been eased into the book reading because I was always, I was obviously in sales. Um, right. yeah. So you need something to, you need to start setting goals. And, yeah. and But it was more down the whole like achieve, 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 mm -hmm. goal, 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 motivation um, track and yeah. not so much, hey, like let's be mindful, let's be present now, like let's slow things down you know, but one thing that kind of, and I think you actually talked about this with Catherine, um, like Mind Valley was huge mm -hmm. uh, for yep. me. And when I was in Korea and when I was writing these questions, that's when I started meditating. Um, and I started using uh, Vision's six phase meditation. And I think to actually do the meditation correctly, I needed to figure out what I actually wanted because yep. there's a little bit of visualization. Yes. And, and the exercise so I was like well I don't know what to visualize I don't actually know what I want and I think that triggered me to go and ask all these questions but I would mm. say it was probably like a few things my brother was a big ins inspiration for me as well so I think there were kind of like a few things hitting me at once yep um but that that meditation I think got me over the got me over the line yep so since I was overseas new environment new people not many people spoke English where I was. Um, so I did feel a little bit lonely and isolated, even though I was with my girlfriend at the time. And I think all of those things um, helped. If I was in New Zealand working the nine, nine to five, I don't know if all of this would have happened. Yep. You just try to carve out the time. And <clears throat> like I say, just having those, those couple of nudges in, in the right direction. No, that's, exactly. That's super cool. So, um, yeah, tell us a bit more about this. Go down sort of the Dufflin Co. route for a little bit. What's um, so you you've got some bags under your bed and in your mate's garage, and things are pretty good. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about about that journey. Yeah, this is a really interesting one, actually. Um, so at this point, we're in the garage. I can't live solely off the business at this point because we live in New Zealand, and <laughs> and which I love. And so I get a job. I was kind of in career. I was teaching. So I was sort of on this teaching buzz of wee bit. Yep. And I started lecturing business at a polytech. Turns nice. out that was the only way I could get decent paid teaching without 
actually having a, a teaching degree. Yep. So nice. I found, found a bit of a loophole <laughs> and that was a really interesting experience. I mean, it got me out of my comfort zone, which was, which was cool. And so business going, uh, teaching as well, got to the point where I did my yearly reflection, which like I said, I need to actually do. And I was in Melbourne with my parents uh, for New Year's. Thought, you know, I was too old for R&D. Um, so thank God I did this. And <laughs> went. I remember getting an Airbnb uh, on my own for two mm-hmm. or three nights and then started bringing up all these um, all these questions and, and yeah, pen to paper, soul searching, checking in with myself. And one thing, one of the main questions was, you know, what's holding you back? And to me, it was my relationship, my social circle, and a few other things. So I had that realization when I was basically, again, like isolated mm. um, for, for a couple of days on my own. You don't really, when you're in this, and I was meditating as well, when you're in this state, like I know that lots of, even Bill Gates does it, um, but I know that lots of um people do it right they they'll go away for a couple of days and go camping or just get an airbnb somewhere on their own and it is such a good time to reflect Mm. put don't take your phone and then like what else do you do because it's so hard to carve out the time but it's so hard to do the work so i need to force myself to do the work but i'm I'm going on a little bit of a tangent um so got back quit my job uh you know ended a relationship and then moved to Bali. So that was my, I call it my <laughs> Nice. Because what I realized is, and lots of the stuff that I'd been visualizing back when I was in Korea using uh, the Mind Valley six-phase meditation was surfing every day, living in like a really cool villary looking house mm. with like, you know, by the beach and stuff like that but I kind of didn't think anything of it. And then I realized once I got to, by the way, the reason why I moved there is I realized I could actually afford to live there and live and go full time on the business. Um, So I could give, give, you know, hundred percent energy towards Mm -hmm. stuff on co. And so it was amazing how I ended up over there. And then I was surfing every day and I was meeting all these incredible people and all the things that I really wanted. And I happened, we started having problems with our supplier in India the wrong stuff would show up. We would order like 10 satchels and 20 duffels and we'd get three duffels and 40 satchels. It was that bad. (laughs) (laughs) It got, yeah. So it got to the point where like Kai and I were thinking about wrapping up the the business Mm -hmm. and, and doing something else. So it was, it was kind of a hard time for us, but then I was just at a local market in Bali and I met more craftsmen on the side of the road And I looked at their products and I thought, wow, these are amazing. These guys are really talented. And then went and visited them and, you know, the mum is cooking a nasi goreng in the kitchen. There's a few Mm. guys sitting on the floor working. And then I just knew I want to support these guys. These guys are awesome. They're like really friendly, like really kind hearted, Mm. you know, Indonesian welcoming people. And they turned out that they worked for Quicksilver and Volcom. um, I don't know, like, 15, 20 years ago, mm. but all those factories shut down in Indonesia because of the trade shift to China 
as, yep. as well in the child labor and stuff like that. I mm. think Indonesia also had its own problems with some of that kind of stuff, but basically they were super talented. And so we were really stoked to get them kind of all under one roof and yeah, get them making stuff. And so that was, that was a huge moment um, for us discovering them. And it was amazing how like, you know, not only by moving to Bali did I start surfing and doing all these things I wanted to do, but from a business point of view, things really started to click into place. And if I didn't take that time away in that Airbnb in Melbourne, there's no way I would have moved to Bali. Yes. Well, you don't know, but yeah, you, you feel it would be less likely for sure. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Super cool. And then, um, so I think, I mean, you've touched on a couple of really great things. I think, you know, that the isolation, that, that, finding time and space just to let your own thoughts bubble up to the surface and connect um but the growth part as well like that that for me is a real big part of purpose is like grow growing and developing and challenging your own beliefs and your own ideals and you know becoming the best version of you that that you know that i guess there's meaning internal meaning in going through that process and by doing that you become a better human which kind of closes the loop on being more purposeful and being being a better a global citizen so i think yeah you've touched on some really cool points there which i, I definitely see are, are relevant to to everyone um yeah yeah growth is massive and i remember when i first started on this mm. let's call it the purpose journey I about a year and I thought I'd read so many books and I thought mm. I knew everything. And as time goes on, I realized that, you know, I actually know less <laughs> and less and there's just so much room to grow um, yep. the, the whole time. And so there's always capacity to grow um, humans. Uh, you know, we have unlimited potential. There's, there's not a finite moment. Yep. Maybe if you're Buddha, I don't know. You're like, I 100% yep. know myself. <clears throat> There's no moment. And so for me, that means that, okay, well, if I don't 100% know myself, then I can't 100% be living my purpose. But I could do it 10%. I could do it 50%. I could do it 60%, which is still going to you know, make my life and everyone else's life exactly a hell of a lot better. And I think um... – I'm pretty sure it was Aristotle also who said, you know, I, I know nothing. It's that, like, know, know thyself, but know that you know nothing um, in the grand scheme of things. And I think it's, it, mm. it's there's, some, there's a bit of tension to a degree, but it's like, yeah, the more, the more you look inwards, the more you expand outwards um, and kind of like say, realize that there is this infiniteness that we're a part of. Um, that you will never know potentially mm. who knows what happens after our time on this wee blue and green dot floating in the middle of the universe um in in middle of lots of other universes yeah, that yeah. are continually expanding um yeah there's probably more to life <laughs> yeah we're, we're quite insignificant yeah. in the scheme of things aren't we um you know tim ferris says that we're just a bunch of monkeys uh on a spinning <laughs> ball <Pretty much. laughs> but i guess it's it's yeah it's rationalizing that um and putting it into action on in in trying to make the that visceral 
the stuff that we're actually doing on a day-to-day basis, you know, relieve some of that suffering for some people, which is, I guess, what, what you sort of identified in terms of, you know, how can you help this amazing community of people that had been, I guess, left behind by uh, the move of, of sort of global capitalism around the world in terms of uh, finding che- the cheapest labour sources, um, which I guess that brings us nicely to the idea of B Corp. So um, Duffel & Co is a B Corp. Woohoo! Um, how did you yep. discover B Corp? And, and yeah, what was, why? Like, why did you choose to do it? So we were at the period where we were like, we're doing so many cool things and we feel like we're making a great impact we're supporting these craftsmen we're planting all these trees we've taken plastic out of our supply chain we you know work with a leather substitute made out of pineapple leaves and you know the list goes on and we were just doing so much and we're like there's no actual certification fit for this we were like okay we could do like free trade but i think it's like it costs like Mm. i don't know a grand or something and that's just one part of our business. How can we, what's something that encapsulates the whole part of our supply chain and is also going to keep us mm-hmm. a little bit more accountable as well. And that was, and that was B, B Corp. That in my eyes, it's the best certification out there because it takes into yep. account the whole supply chain. But it, I'll tell you what, it was quite funny because at the time when we got it, we had a team of, I think four or five of us, and it takes into account, you know, where the materials came from, yep. if you're a product-based business, right, to your staff well-being and happiness. But we had, you know, four or five staff all just on mm. the on the startup, small business, social enterprise vibe. So obviously everyone was like in the survey, okay, five yep. star, five star, five star for the staff well-being because we were we were so small. But for corporates, like that whole staff well-being thing is of is massive and it's amazing that B Corp takes into account the staff well-being because most of them are just like okay well, yes. where did the goods come from okay let's take that into account and yes. it doesn't paint the full the full picture um yeah so i i love b corp and to answer your question it was a certification that was kind of the best fit for for duffel co because it took into account the whole supply chain fantastic and i think that i mean that's why i'm such a big i guess proponent or um uh, supporter of it is is because it is wider um in its in its view as to what it what it uh, you know looks into um because i think it's really easy for an organization to go okay well look, you know we're we're child labor free certified but hey don't ask us about our carbon footprint um or you can have minimized or offset your carbon but hey don't ask us about the conditions of our workers and our supply chain so Mm. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's why I think it, it just it just helps businesses understand more about the touch points that they have in so many more areas um, to help them become a better business so that we can create create that change. So um, that, that's such a good example because you see it all the time, right? We're we're carbon, we're carbon zero. And then you buy something yeah. from them and it's full of plastic <laughs> yeah. all the time. Um, but yeah, I really love your, yeah. your not to say that, you know, if you're going down the carbon zero route, you know, don't, don't not do that, but um, yeah, just think, think more broadly. And I, I guess that's maybe um, 
yeah, an interesting time that we're at where obviously in New Zealand, we've got a lot of businesses that have signed up to the Climate Coalition and climate change and climate change risk mitigation seems to be the big area that most big businesses in particular are playing in. Um, but it's like, yep, mm. you know, adulting is hard. And, um, you know, you can't just look at the one environmental piece and not consider the social community because, and I guess the UN SDGs are sort of pointing towards that. It's like, you know, this stuff's all interlinked. You can't just solve your climate challenge on its own in isolation and ignore all the other components of, of your organization and supply chain and what have you so mm. yeah i think like a lot of businesses lack that author mm-hmm. um authenticity because it, it's sort of like okay um it's awesome that p- businesses are taking these steps you know they're they're on the road to becoming carbon neutral or their fair trade or something like that. You yes. know, it's better than doing nothing. And it, it's hard. It's complicated for these big businesses. We understand that. Um, but what gets me, as you talked about impact washing, um, is just, you know, just be mm. honest and be truthful of, of where you are on the journal, j- journey <laughs> and and say say what your plans yeah. are and, and where you're going because no one's perfect. And even with Duff & Co., we've, we've always said, um, look, we're not perfect. Um, we we use leather, um, and we can explain why we use leather. And we don't think it's the worst thing. And some people mm. do, and we acknowledge that. And we do acknowledge that there could be better ways of doing things. Um, the whole leather conversation is extremely complex, but we you know we acknowledge that, and we're on a journey um, to become better mm. and more impactful and more authentic. And we want our customers to always. understand that and most of our fans do and i think that's why they support us because we're not (laughs) we're not making up shit um it's essentially but we're also saying hey we're not perfect and then you've got these bigger businesses essentially saying hey we're amazing and we're perfect yeah and I think that's that's interesting because I mean because we we first really connected when I was doing some work with the conscious consumer team and um, we were looking at getting you guys on the platform. I think we did eventually back in the day. Um, and, and I think I've mentioned this mm. in, in other episodes, or if not, um, I've certainly mentioned it in, in passing in conversation. But it seems, again, it's coming back to that vulnerability. And I feel certainly my experience of working in big business is it's like, you know, admit no weakness. Um, don't let the customer, the market or anyone or the competitors see that we're not as good as we kind of saying we are because they'll, they'll get in there and, you know, they'll, it's a weak point for us. And we, we certainly had that with a couple of larger organizations who we were talking to at conscious consumers where, you know, they were like, look, we, we don't want to put ourselves out there because we don't want to be criticized for what we're not doing. And it's like, well, you're doing some really good stuff. And if people heard about that, they'd probably be supporting you a bit more. Um, and, and I think we're maybe at that time where yeah, more people just need to say, hey, look, we, we're not as good as we could be, but we, we have a real desire to want to do more good. Can you all just help us on that journey? And I think people would buy into that and there'd be a lot more um, public interest around that rather than yeah, these kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like, um, yeah, these sort of fake attempts at saying we're doing the best that we can whereas actually mm. you scratch the surface and you kind of go are you though really <laughs> mm. yeah 100 percent. Yeah. very cool so um i guess yeah b core because awesome come be a b core that's uh, definitely where it's at um 
but just touching on the the sort of social enterprise thing, there's, I don't know. There's there's an interesting movement I feel down here in good old Otatahi Christchurch around people maybe losing a bit of the allure around the idea of social enterprise in its purest form, um, and more more so I guess like looking at organisations that are businesses for good. Um, what, what, how do you define a social enterprise? What 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 would you call a social enterprise as, uh, in, in your own terms? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, I guess if you get a, a Kina certified, um, they've got they've yep. got one definition for it, but even that's a little bit a- ambiguous. And I think they got theirs from Australia um, for what because you know at, at the moment we in New Zealand if you're registered registering a business you can only be a, a limited liability company or or mm. just like a sole trader or what there's be a no social yeah. enterprise there's an ngo but there's no yeah yeah a charity so there's not no yeah. uh, there's no such thing as a social enterprise um but the one way you could say you know you're giving away more than mm. half your profit yeah but that's tough I think another way is like, okay, well, what's happening in your su- supply chain? You said that you yep. interviewed Michelle Sharp, I think it is, from Kilmarnock. You know, she, she has a really yep. cool labor force, right? Where they're having like, you know, deaf people and disabled people uh, are making yep. like headphones and all sorts of products, which is really, really cool. But if they were doing that and they weren't giving away their profit, um, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing something awesome. That to me, that's still. Yep an impact driven business. So I think that the, the term social enterprise is just a synonym for yep. a purpose driven business or an impact driven business. And I feel like there's an impact driven business or a purpose driven business or small business. And then there's a yep. purpose driven corporate, which are kind of completely different um, things where the, the smaller business is sacrificing a lot more in general than the, the bigger like, business. Yeah. And I think that's, that's certainly where a couple of the people, and I, I need to, I, I need to book this interview in. There's a group group that want to have this conversation around like, you know, what is social enterprise? But I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head and think that's, that's the real challenge is that, that 50% going back into the enterprise or, or solving the problem. Um, and I think that, it's hard that's really hard for any any business to do um whereas like you said i think and, and that was interesting certainly with michelle when uh, she was at kilmarnock we kind of stopped using the term social enterprise and used exactly what you said we, we were referring to kilmarnock as an organization of impact and it's like impacts at the heart of what we're, mm. what we're aiming to do but and i guess this segues really nicely into the you know the profit the impact conversation you know if, if you haven't got the funds to employ the people you can't make impact um and i think it it's a really i think we're in this interesting period still where there's a lot of charities trying to work out how do we maybe become a social enterprise and i guess the stereotypical one is they go well let's, let's start a cafe and we'll make money in the cafe and that will fund the charity or you know we'll, we'll start some micro enterprise mm. um, and that's like a really hard road to go down versus you know, and I think this was sort of part of Michelle's take in, in, in moving out of the not-for-profit sector into the corporate is, you know, if, if she can affect 2% change at Vodafone in New Zealand versus maybe half a percent in squeezing the lemon of the impact that Kilmarnock's making, exponentially you're making way more change. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, mm. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, but there's, yeah, I think yeah, it's interesting to unpack your thoughts there. I think the- align with kind of where I was going. Yeah. 
I think like the, the most important thing to think about is you need to measure impact. And that's why B Corp's good as well, because essentially you're doing that when you get your certification. I know Arkina, um, you know, they work with businesses t- to measure theirs as well. Yep. And you can also have a constitution. Um, but I think that you need to know, you need to measure your business because you need to know for a fact that you're yes. creating net benefit, right, to the world, either both socially yep. and environmentally. Um, or, you know, you can't be creating a, a negative impact of either. Like, yes. like one of them could be neutral. And to me, that's a business doing good. And that's yes. actually really, really <laughs> hard. You take take Duffel Co., for example, where we're transporting products around the world. Um, okay, suddenly we've got mm. a hell of a lot of carbon emissions that, you know, we have to admit. Um, and then you've got to take into account, okay, how much are your, how much are our craftsmen being paid? Okay, are they benefiting? Can, have they got enough money to feed their families? Yeah, things like that. Can they go to school? And then you've got to take into account, okay, well, what about the employees mm. in New Zealand that we have? Uh, are they on a living wage? How are they going? Mm. Are they enjoying themselves? So there's a lot to unpack. But if you can just take all of everything into consideration and be like, nah, overall, I know that we're creating, you know, and, and the, hardest, the hardest part in my eyes mm. is, the environmental, um, is the environmental benefit, especially mm. for big corporates. And many businesses are like, oh, no, we're going to like slow down our environmental impacts where like we kind of took a stand and we said, no, like with Duff and Co, we want to reverse them yep. because it's kind of too late to start slowing things down. And I think like, you know, in, in the future, those businesses, because, you know, millennials are pretty um, switched on when it comes to yep. purpose-driven business and stuff like that. But man, like I think it's Gen Z, they're asking yeah. their parents why they have two cars. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? So those guys are the future of the workforce. So in 10 or 15 years, if these bigger corporates um, haven't sorted <laughs> their shit out, then no one's going to yep. want to work for them and they're going to crumble. So the, it's actually uh, like if you're doing creating that net benefit, yes. it's actually an investment for the future. Mm. Everyone's going to want to work for you and you're going to get the best um, talent. And, and and also your and yes. customers are actually going to buy from you. And you're doing the you. right thing all to boot. Um, because I think that's, yeah, yeah. And yeah. sleep at night. What a crazy idea, yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I 100% agree. It's um, the, the time for mitigating the, the bad that you do. We're, we're rapidly, or if not way past that. Um, and exactly as you say, you know, net regenerative business is a really, really interesting concept. Um, and I think, you know, when you suddenly start looking at some, uh, you know, just even whole business sectors, you kind of go, well, in what way are you meaningfully contributing to the sustainability in, in the in the raw term of, you know, the ability for us to continue doing what we're doing for as long as we can keep doing it? Um, it, it changes the dynamic mm. on, a, on a conversation rather than just, well, how much more money can we take out of this organisation or, or can we, you know, extract from the market for the next few years so that, you know, we, we get more money in the coffers? It's... um. Yeah. I think it's going to be, yeah, really interesting times um, ahead on that. But, um, yeah, regenerative business, it, it, it's the only way forward. Because if we're not regenerative, if we keep on the extractive path, it, it's not going to end well. 
<laughs> no, no, it's it, it's not. And for small businesses, it's also a challenge yep. because it's already hard enough starting a, a small business. And what I don't know, the stats are always changing, but it's always somewhere in between like sixty and ninety percent of small businesses fail. Okay, well, what about small businesses yes. that are doing good? What's that rate? Um, and I think that it's actually I would agree. Higher. Um, and yeah. I think based on my well, based on my own experience of um, you know keep starting my own business and and you know try to push to keep that going over the last five years, it's it's been bloody hard. Um, mm. And there's been regular moments. Uh, you know, my wife she runs her own B corporation. Um, you know, there's been there's been multiple times where we've been like, are you, are you paying the mortgage because it's looking pretty skinny for me next month. Um, and I think that that is one of the big challenges. And I had a conversation with a, mm. a couple of young lads um, in the UK a couple of weeks ago who were looking at starting a social enterprise. And they had an interesting idea of um, working with a food bank. And then through the food bank, they were going to start getting some sponsorship and corporate engagement. And then they were going to create a microfinance scheme to loan money to these disadvantaged people to go and start their own business and then when that business was successful they were going to you know take take some capital out of that business and reinvest it and exactly as i said as you've just said mm. it's like okay what's the rate of failure for a startup where the 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 owner or the, or the you know the entrepreneur is from a well-developed background they've got a bcom or they've understood business and they've got a supportive family and friends and they've got some capital okay and you're going to give some money to these people who are already systemically disadvantaged more than likely coming from a you know a, a, they had a bad start in life they potentially don't have um, business acumen they haven't been involved in the corporate world and you're going to lend them 30k sterling and hope that they can go and start a micro business. It's like that's almost criminal. <laughs> and, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I did hear what was the name of of that company because I did hear about a couple of little schemes yep. like that. The microfinancing mm. was a, a little bit of a hot yep. topic maybe okay, yeah, a year I mean, or so I mean, ago, I wasn't guess, it? You know, it's been. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I know obviously off. microfinance has been massive in Southeast Asia, particularly, I guess, Indian subcontinent with the Eunice um, Foundation and what have you. But yeah, I can't remember who it was locally. But yeah, it's just in, in that context of starting starting a business of any description, if you don't have full capability and full resourcing, it's really hard. And I, and I know this was something that Michelle and I commented on frequently at Kilmarnock. It's like doing good is bloody hard work. And when you're fighting systemic barriers to do good because if, if doing good was easy every business would be doing it it's it's not it's not ingrained so i i totally think i'm not mm. and it's hard because you know i guess we people like you and i want more people to start businesses that can pivot their business to do more good um but it is a bloody hard road currently um and i think you have to be aware of that before you jump in thinking oh it'd be great everyone's going to save the world they'll all support my business and you know we'll, we'll create this amazing change by this time next year um yeah, absolutely. I think there's one really, really clear disadvantage in terms of making profit at the moment for being a social enterprise or a purpose-driven business or whatever we want to call it, and that mm. is um, the, the price point, right? Um, that, you know, these these corporates, or sorry, not even corporates, just businesses that, you know, don't have that social purpose or they're not doing good by the environment, mm. they're not being taxed at all for that but they're actually you know generating yes. more profit yes. but depleting you know exploiting people or exploiting mm. the environment and it's actually unfair so 
the the way forward, you know, they need to pay yes. some sort of tax. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, they it's, pay it's the true cost playing field because at the moment business. it's not. Um. Yeah, and consumers like they do understand that, but at the same day, like every consumer's only got a, got a certain amount of money and if they really love a, a t-shirt and it's and it's 10 bucks and the the alternative's 100 bucks then yeah they're probably going to buy the 10 dollar t-shirt they might feel a yep. bit guilty about it but that's kind of the way it is um, at the moment and it is shifting and people are willing to pay a bit more but i feel like there needs mm. to be some sort of you know <laughs> repercussion on the on on the non-social enterprise side especially if we're extracting mm. stuff from the, the environment that we shouldn't be or exploiting people and i, I think that's the kind of the biggest i totally agree the and it's I, even i'd kind of you know forget about that part of it you know there are um because it's interesting you mentioned lecturing i'm currently co-teaching um, an mba program called creating impact-led enterprises and as part of that we were discussing bottled Love water it. as a topic um and you know, it's quite a hot topic in New Zealand, and and the the a lot of the argument was framed around well, who like you know resource consents and you know how much money should people be paying to extract the water, but beyond that, there was no recognition around okay, well, what are the long term external costs of extracting that water and putting it in bottle, and then what about shipping that bottle around the world, and then the cost of disposal of that bottle at the source or sorry at the you know with the end user, and. Um, yeah, if if every company had to account for their full supply chain, which is, I guess, where you're back into the Beacle framework of truly examining your your organisation and, and its major stakeholders, you'd have to think that a lot of businesses wouldn't be doing as well as they would be doing financially um, and would have to drastically change their makeup, their DNA and, and how they approach. So do you think that's something for governments to, you know, part of my vision would be how cool would it be if basically for you to be a business in New Zealand, you had to be a certified B Corp. Um, do, you, do you think that's the answer or do you think it's going to come from like consumer pressure or this, you know, the Gen Z millennial people coming through and demanding this? It's hard to say, but I will give you an example. And the bottled water is such a great example, Tim, because right now we've got, um, I'm not sure if you know, for the better good, um, that uh, the, the water yep. company made from, uh, water bottle company made from plants. Um, I, don't, I don't know like the whole supply chain, but I think it's, it's pretty cool. And you compare that mm. to uh, the Coca-Cola company pump. Or, or whatever, you know, everything in a plastic bottle. And then, you know, for a start, all of that plastic's made in, in the factory. Mm. Okay, what do those emissions look like? Okay, how much oil have we extracted from the ground to create yep. that plastic? And, and the list goes on. And it's like, okay, well, if they were actually carbon zero because they're shipping that stuff all around the world um, and say for the better good the plant-based water bottle company is – you know how much how much yep. would they have to increase their their price by and i think what's what's going to happen um to make a level playing field but what's going to happen really really soon and what businesses are starting to do is like you said focus it's more geared towards the the carbon zero um side of things and, and removing emissions so you know by 2050 you know new zealand's aim is mm. to have zero carbon emissions and so that i think that's where we're going and businesses are going to have to start taking action because it will get to a point where if they don't, then 
I don't know mm. if they'll actually be able to, they'll get taxed. So I don't know what the repercussions will be, but I think that's where, you know, just from the government at where yep. the government stands at the moment, that's the way it's going. But then there's all these other factors. And if we could somehow like, you know, advocate B Corp, the problem is in New Zealand, it's, yep. it's still getting some strict, traction and i think the average person doesn't really know know about it so if you're if you're listening definitely google it and learn more about it and tell your friends about it Um, because in america it's huge um we're seeing great leaders yeah patagonia Allbirds, these bigger companies really you know doing epic 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 work and that also making a lot of money so it proves that it can be done on a mass on, on a mass scale um, but Tim, that would be the dream if everyone um, was was protesting, being like, "Okay, all businesses need a B Corp to operate." And imagine what the world would look like then. So, um, I don't know what what what's going to happen, but I think that in terms of carbon, mm. um, we're on the right track. But yeah. there's a lot of other I think, things I think, yeah, to, to think about. I think you're spot on there. I think that the carbon. It's I guess it's literally the canary in the coal mine. It's it's focusing the attention. It's getting businesses to start thinking about their global impact in one pillar of their business or one part of their business. And then <clears throat> I guess there was a really cool study. Unfortunately, it was done in the office of Coca-Cola in Madrid. Um, but they basically uh, showed that doing good is contagious. Mm. So once one person starts doing good in an organ, they basically, I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but they, they essentially had two groups of people and, and one group, they said, hey, look, every opportunity you have to perform an act of kindness to a colleague, you have to do it. So holding a door open, uh, offering to buy a coffee, um, offering to help them out at work, like really just small acts of kindness. Um, And then they had a control um, group in the office who were, were just, you know, business as usual. And what they found was the people who were offering the acts of kindness felt happier and more engaged. But then they also found that the people receiving the acts of kindness started offering acts of kindness of themselves. So it kind of proved in this one study that, you know, doing good is, is contagious because it, you feel good and you want to pass it forward. And I guess it's the other example I use is if you're in a, you know, a queue of traffic and you let someone into the queue, you know, they typically say thanks to you and you feel pretty good. And then, you know, a couple of streets further down, they'll let mm. someone else in and that kind of ripple of doing good can go through um, you know, just as quickly as, as I guess, people uh, passing on the bad. And so, yeah, if we can get organisations to start doing some good and then they get that engagement internally, externally and can build on it. Yeah, it's 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 just how, how quickly can we do it? Yeah, yeah. but the pay it forward effect, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it, yep. everyone wants to feel valued, right? And if someone lets you in, you're just Literally, like, yeah. you know, you feel you, your heart feels off. warm if, yeah. you, if you're stuck in tra- traffic and then and then you're more willing you feel better and then you're more willing to do it to others so that 100 percent makes sense to me um and yeah imagine imagine that world i think that's that's the thing like you know we 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 can't even imagine how good it could even be and uh, but it's like i'm willing to go and give it a go (laughs) yeah well if you're if you're happier um it's easier to be kind um, there's going to be more laughter. It's been scientifically proven over and over again that you're going to be more creative. You're going to do better work. Um, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're, if you're at work and you're angry, yep. 
you're not going to do a very good yes. job and that work's going to be less meaningful. If you're in a really good mood, it's easier to focus. Um, it's easier to kind of, you know, access your intuition and think outside the box and stuff like yeah. that. Honestly, if you, you're angry, you can't think out. Well, I can't you just, think, you just think, about upset, I can't think outside the box. Um, so better ideas come. Justifying your anger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 100, 100%. And in these organizations, I think it's, there's a lot more to it than having a chill-out zone with a table tennis table um, as well. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of a short shortcut. Um, but it's behavioral it's exactly change. That. And that's that, that's what it is. Purpose work yeah. and is you know, it's not just a case of, hey, we'll do the B core assessment, we'll get the tick, and then we'll kind of, I mean, if, if an organize, organization wants to do that, you know, sure, go and do that. But the, the real key is how do you take the people on that journey to being truly purpose-driven and, and living a life just like you are? So, um, yeah, interesting times ahead. Well, look, we're, we're at the hour mark. Um, so, yeah, probably a good time to sort of wrap up and, um, yeah, I guess, any other final closing thoughts uh, you've got? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think we make a little commitment, Tim, and encourage the listeners to do it as well and kind of just do a little okay. random act of, of, of kindness. Um, today, <laughs> you know, due date, 24 hours, so same day, um, same time tomorrow, so about 2 p.m. tomorrow, and we'll have to report back on Facebook, Messenger, uh, what what it is, um, yep. because we can't tell everyone else to do it if we don't do it. You know, we've got to practice what we preach um, and encourage everyone else to do it. That would be my final thought, and I'm yeah, interested well, to, I'll, to I'll see what it, happens. We can maybe both post it in the show notes. So I'll, um, you can let me know, and I'll let you know, and then we'll I'll put it up there. But um. Awesome. Hey, look, and thank you so much. Um, I awesome. I've got to know you a heap um, more, uh, you know, than, than we have done in passing perhaps over the last couple of years. Um, I'm kind of almost sensing that there's more we could unpack. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we should uh, do another one of these, uh, say, in a, in a couple of months when you've got your new enterprise up and running and you can maybe give us some more in-depth reporting and thoughts on what's happening in the world of the sort of the startup business for goods sector. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, no, um, definitely. I really enjoyed chatting to him. And I think purpose is such an awesome topic to, to talk about. And I really enjoy all of the tangents and the rabbit holes that we go yeah, down. Got, and I can't wait to go down more. It's, it's one thing that keeps me going normally, finding little internet rabbit holes of goodness to go in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, mate. You have a good one. hundred percent. Great to chat to him. Cheers, Danny. And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening in to my podcast. As I say, I'd love to know where you are on your journey in pursuit of purpose. And if you've got any questions that you'd like me to try and answer for you or people you'd like me to interview on this podcast, please do let me know through a message or a comment. Also do connect with me on other social media platforms. You'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. For more information about me and what I offer through my business, Grow Good, you can also go find me at www dot growgood.co that's growgood.co if you want to get in contact with me my email is really easy tim at growgood.co i'd love to hear from you until next time go well and keep on pursuing your purpose